Thank you for listening to this selection from bradhambrick.com. Brad serves as pastor of counseling at the Summit Church in Durham, North Carolina, and is excited to produce resources that equip believers and resource churches to care well for one another in their community. We pray that this serves you well, and we hope that you'll consider utilizing other resources from bradhambrick.com for your personal growth and ministry endeavors. And so now we come to step four, uh, recognized my need to repent. Uh, and so at this point, our, our journey is becoming active. Uh, the first three steps were primarily reflective. They were introspective. They were looking at history and motive and that kind of thing. Uh, but now active, we don't necessarily just mean try harder. Because the try harder gimmicks of dealing with anger are the kinds of things that get counselors a bad name. This is when you get told to go to your happy place and count to 10 and pop yourself with a rubber band and hold your breath and have a WWJD bracelet. And, and it's just like, none of that do I want to do. And if you say any of this, I'm going to claw your eyes out. Um, it, that's not what we're talking about. And when we use those, we develop a pattern. Usually life gets hard because we've been bad and we feel really rotten about it. So we wake up to the problem, and we try really hard, and we white-knuckle it. And we white-knuckle it until we get tired, and then our focus and our effort wanes, and life gets hard again because we've been bad again, and we feel bad, and we just commit to do it around the merry-go-round again. And so I don't intend for this material to be another trip around the try-harder merry-go-round. Uh, in light of that, hear this quote from David Pallison. He says, the good news, and you'll see that it's in caps there, meaning the gospel. Uh, the good news is always presented in terms of how love and anger come together to be resolved. God expresses his love for his people by each of the three ways he expresses his anger at wrong. First, in love, the anger your sin deserved fell on Jesus. That when we figure out, I've been bad, some degree of anger is merited by the way that I did anger wrong, that fell on Christ. Second, in love, God's anger works to disarm the power of your sin. This is where if we had kept reading in James 4, one of those things that really is a mercy verse, but we don't hear it as a mercy verse, it says God opposes the proud. What I needed on that night when there was a smudged up Narnia CD is I needed God to get in my way. It was the mercy of God that I heard an echo in my older son's voice that I was like, that's atrocious. It is the mercy of God that brings that kind of conviction to us. And third, in love, God's anger will deliver you from the pain of others' sins. And... Sometimes we are, we're angry because of atrocious things that have happened to us. Uh, and, and it may be that uh, if that's the source of your anger, uh, this material here is going to take us through a responsibility paradigm. It's going to take us through nine steps of when our life struggles are coming from our sin. Uh, we have other curriculum that go through nine steps that look at it from the vantage point of a suffering paradigm. 
So maybe the source of your, your anger is betrayal, uh, and, and the true betrayal material that we have uh, is a better curriculum for you. Or maybe it's a significant trauma that you've been through, and, and the anger is, and yes, uh, in terms of we go back to safety, addiction, trauma, character, skill. Yes, we want to deal with the character element, but that traumatic element may need to be dealt with first. And God can bring you comfort in that as much as He can bring you correction in this. And He is happy to do both by the gospel because you are His child and He loves you and He wants you to be fully restored. The gospel speaks to sin and suffering. It speaks to both of them. It just speaks a bit differently. And so what we want to see here is that change, change doesn't involve white knuckles. Uh, it involves empty hands and bent knees. Uh, and so in order to see the relevance of repentance, we've got to see our sin the way that God sees it. And normally when we talk about a sin like anger done wrong, what we see is the violation of another person. We see somebody that we love crying. And we, we want to make that right first. And what Scripture would tell us is that sin is always first and foremost a violation and misrepresentation of God before it is uh, a dishonoring of another person. And so if we want to talk about repenting well, that's not a matter of eloquence or a certain level of emotion. You know, sometimes people, I, I just can't repent because I'm not one of those crying people. Um, repentance is not about a certain type of emotion. Uh, repenting well involves having awareness uh, that, that my sin in, is first and foremost an abdication of God and replacing Him with something else so that what I am repenting of is misguided worship, not just bad behavior. Because God doesn't have a problem with decibel levels. God doesn't even have that much of a hang-up on vocabulary. And so if we're like, oh, you know, I said these magic words at this decibel level, and that's why God's upset. No! That's like some weird God lady who won't let you put your elbows on the table at dinner and gets really freaked out about it. Uh, it's not that kind of weird etiquette rule that God is upset about. He's saying, your sin has replaced me. And you say, how do I see that? Well, there's some questions here on the next page. How have you seen anger as your friend? In a hard time, how have you turned to anger before you have turned to God? How has anger become more of a natural reflex to you, more so than prayer? What benefits has anger provided? And how precious has those benefits become to you? That ruling desire... Uh, that, that drives your anger, maybe it's respect, maybe it's appreciation, how has that desire begun to define good and bad, worth my time and not worth my time, friend and foe? Those are all the kinds of things that God says, if I was at the right spot in your life, those would be the things I would be defining. I would be defining good and bad, right and wrong, friend and foe, worth your time and not worth your time. Do you see 
how this desire and the sin behind it has taken a lordship role of your life and you're willing to forsake all others in the pursuit of it in a way that creates bondage for you when I want you to do that with me and it creates freedom for you. And so what are the elements of repentance? There's no magic in these six things, but I think they give us several facets of a picture that's important. The first part of repentance is a desire to live for God and submit to His Lordship. Repentance doesn't begin with remorse. It's not just a matter of feeling bad. Repentance is when we realize, I've made a mess of my life. And as long as I stay the central figure in my life, I'm going to keep doing it. I need somebody else to take the wheel and be the primary character in my story because I'm messing it up. And I found somebody who's fully capable and I am happy to surrender that control to them. That's where repentance begins. Uh, Repentance involves an understanding of how our sin sought to replace God. That's what we were just talking about. Um, Repentance involves a brokenness over our sin nature. It's understanding who we are. And it doesn't have to be this kind of shameful, slimy thing to say, you know what, we're broken people. I mean, watch the news. You can't watch the news in the world in which we live and not think there is something radically wrong with people. And I'm people. And there's got to be a remedy bigger than anything that we're trying. It's not just them that the world's falling apart. My internal world looks like the news. And that's what is being remedied not just a little more self-control. Anger is expressed to God. Two thoughts here. Sometimes because that person in front of us is crying and we love them and we can tell that we've hurt them, we try to go make it right with them and we want being right with them to make everything okay. And that's putting a weight on this being right that that just can't bear. Because confession was never meant to replace repentance. And, And so let me go and have the guilt lifted for what I did so that when I come to you, I'm not trying to absolve my guilt by you telling me it's okay. I'm just wanting you to know that I am very sorry for what I did and I want to serve and care for you and the repercussions for what my anger did. That's a really different conversation. So that part of being expressed to God. Uh, Another part is, sometimes we confuse repentance with very generic remorse. It's as if just this directionless sense of feeling bad is repentance. We don't repent to whom it may concern. Because when, when directionless repentance is what we do, if you're talking to no one, you should expect nothing. If you are talking to someone, you should, experience, you should expect everything that that person is capable of. And, and so sometimes when people say, you know, have you repented? Have you dealt with God? I feel bad. That wasn't the question. 
I mean, I'm sorry you feel bad, and I'm glad you feel bad, and that's right, I don't know how to deal with all that. But that wasn't a question. Have you embraced what God's done for you and surrendered to Him as Lord in the midst of this situation? Has anything gone on that was directional, or was it just kind of gropingly bad feelings? Um, repentance also involves a faith in God's willingness to forgive. If we don't believe God will forgive, we're just going to try harder. Uh, we've got to earn, we've got to convince Him that this is what needs to happen. And repentance also involves a new direction in life, usually expressed first by confession. Uh, we'll come to that in the next step. <clears throat> so, one question here, are you repenting to the one true God? You know, our view of God really shapes if we repent, how we repent, what we expect from repentance. So let me kind of summarize this, this section this way. If you think about repenting, and normally when I think about repenting, I think I've been bad, I'm kind of shameful, so I'm like looking down at my shoes. And, um, but if instead of that, you looked up, and you looked into the face of the God to whom you were repenting, what expression would you see on his face? Because sometimes I think we see a God who's totally disinterested and it's like, what, you again? Or one where we just feel like he has had it and if not for Jesus, he would smite us off the face of the earth and enjoy it. We don't see the father of the prodigal son who was longing for his child to come home. And when he saw him, even from a long way off, and when he's about yay big, he still knew who he was, and he indignantly ran. Because when you see the compassion of the God who longs to redeem you, He doesn't look at you as an employee and He wants a higher level of productivity and for you to quit disrupting His business. He looks at you as His child, as His son, as His daughter, who He wants so much more for you than what your anger is doing in your life. You know, one of the things we see in Genesis 1 is that in the beginning, God made us in His image, and ever since, we've been trying to return the favor. And whatever it is that we do in our anger, we kind of project that on Him or key people in our life. And so in this sense, overcoming anger is an invitation to get to know God for who He really is. Not the distorted version of who you feared He might be. Because we won't view God wrongly and do anger rightly. And so at this stage of repentance, it is not punishment. It is an invitation to get to know a good Father who longs to love you and restore you and to see you flourish for everything it is that He made you to be.